Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers Radio. And we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And today is the winter solstice. So happy solstice or winter solstice, everyone. I know that Black Skeptic Chicago is having a gathering this evening. So if you go out to our meetup page, all of that information is uh, there on our meetup page. And you can also contact Frank. He has more information and more details for you. And so this has been a really interesting week. Um, I'm still laughing about last week and last week's show, and it seems to be kind of popular looking at those numbers. So <laughs> it's interesting, like they say, controversy and sex. Anyway, so it is Festivus, and for those of you that aren't familiar with it, this came about from the Seinfeld show um, with Costanza, with his dad made up this holiday called Festivus, and so it was kind of adopted by many theists, and it's just really fun. Um, you have the uh, something about like the feats of strength and the airing of grievances, and it's just it was actually really it's really funny. So you know we're celebrating Festivus today. This is our is it the fourth year? 2011, 2012, 2013, 20, yeah, the fourth year, fourth year that we've celebrated Festivus. So. We thank you all for tuning in to the show today, <laughs> and we we named it or subtitled it Tilting at Windmills, and I'm not sure if you all are familiar with Don Quixote. I read that when I was about 10 or 11, and it was a really good book, and it was talking about how when Don Quixote um, was laboring under his delusions, how he would see these large windmills that were used to grind millstone and, and such, and how he would take those 
um, windmills, when he would see them, he thought that they were adversarial um, soldiers that wanted to fight him. And he thought that, you know, uh, it was just a big battle and that he was going to be victorious in, in, in his fight against, you know, his enemies. And so he would tilt at the windmills and, and fight the windmills, but it was no fight because they were windmills. So it was all in his head. And so, you know, like I said, we'll continue laughing at those who are tilting at windmills because you have some people out here who are laboring under the same delusions that they have enemies, and it's, it's imaginary. It's imaginary. So it's it's just funny to us, you know, as Sancho would say, take care, sir, or take care, ma'am, because it's all in your head. And so it's, it's just really interesting, or at least I thought it was all in their head until uh, yesterday. And so, you know, it was really interesting um, how some things come about. And yesterday, you know, there was an incident and... You know, I'm sitting here, I laughed about it all day yesterday, I laughed last night. I woke up laughing about this situation, and I still haven't figured out exactly um, how I'm going to respond to it. Part of me feels as though I should give the people what they want. So, you know, um, it's it's really interesting, um, you know, as to what I'm going to do, and, you know, I find it very uh, peculiar that this particular group of people want to take instruction and get guidance from, you know, the person that's helping them to establish their group. But they seem to take offense when I made, when I clarified and told them that I was giving, you know, guidance and instruction to my group. And so, uh, you know, and it was just interesting how people take your words and they twist them. And I'm sitting there watching it, and, you know, I'm laughing the whole time. So it's okay for your group leader to give you instruction, but it's not okay for me to give my group leader instructions as to, you know, what is proper or inappropriate um, to put on our, you know, meetup page. And so I just found the whole thing absolutely hilarious. And the only reason why, you know, I'm not going to give them a little bit of cray-cray is because I actually like, you know, a few of the people, or at least I thought I did. I'm not quite sure how I feel about them now. But, you know, I actually like some of the people that put together the group here uh, in Chicago. And so, you know, it's just too funny because, you know, I have categories for these things here. I have cray, I have cray-cray, I got cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, I got crazy, and then there's crazy, right? And so, you know, I'm trying to figure out what category to put it in. But at the end of the day, um, it seems as though, like I said, there's this narrative that, you know, people try to write about a person. And one of the narratives that I've seen out there that, you know, and it's a total fabrication, was that I was not working with, you know, other black secular organizations, and that's not true. 
and yesterday proved that, you know, proved that narrative to be a bald-faced lie. I've been encouraging and motivating my group to collaborate with another um, black secular organization here in Chicago. The problem is, apparently, they didn't know that I was in the background, you know, encouraging people and saying, yeah, and authorizing. Yes, I will use that word, authorize. Authorizing, you know, our meetup page to to post about their gatherings. And because I wanted the two groups to collaborate and coexist and, and work together. But... You know, it seems as though, you know, once they found out that I knew when I clarified that yesterday, then it was like, all hell broke loose. And I'm like, so, when you think that you're usurping or co-opting or doing things in secret, and I guess that just titillates you, and I guess I just let all the air out of your balloon yesterday when I, when I said that I was aware of the situation and, you know, people are free to support whomever they choose. I've never had a problem with that. You know, you know, individuals, that's fine. But, you know, collectively as part of an aggregation of groups that fall under, you know, um, corporate head, you know, there are certain things that we do and do not allow and, and, for that there, you know, we were all for it. But it seems as though they have a problem with that. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting. And so, you know, when I say give the people what they want, you know, they have a problem with me authorizing things. So maybe I shouldn't authorize anything anymore. We'll just let individuals make their decisions. And then we just won't post it on our meetup page because I have to authorize that. And apparently... You know, people have an issue with that. And so I'm just sitting back and I'm just laughing at the whole situation because, you know, again, the false narrative that was being put out there was, you know, I wasn't working with other black secular orgs, and that's untrue. And yesterday well, proved just, that. I was going to say, and, and, that's, and that's just one example um, right. Behind the scenes, nobody really understands that we have invited certain individuals to participate in things directly with people of color, fiancés, and they've right. turned it down. We we and we made this offer more than more than once. In, in fact, I, I I believe it was maybe even more than twice. I don't remember, but I mean, how many right. times are you supposed to? extend an invitation to someone who, you know, clearly doesn't have any interest in working with you, you know, but I think, exactly. I think it is really, um, I think it's really disingenuous for this person to sit out here and talk about solidarity and, you know, working with other groups and what other groups has she really worked with except for her own, <laughs> but see, but, but, you know what exactly. I mean? But, but, but look at what she said in that thread. It was she, you know, um, she addressed, the Chicago head of that particular group and said, well, you can work with them if you want to, but I'm not sure if I would and blah. I wasn't the one being divisive in that thread. That was her. All I did was clarify was that I was still in Chicago. If they had any questions, they could direct them at me. 
and 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 that and that I had been authorizing it in the background. But I guess they're angry because they didn't realize that I knew everything. Just like they, you know, stated or you know, she stated that they had talked to her and that she would abide by their decision. Well, they talked to her and they came to a decision. Why can't Frank and my group talk to me? So you know, to right. me, it seems when they thought that they were usurping and they co- were co-opting that, you know, they were all excited and thought they were doing something. But when they found out that I've known since the very beginning and that I was pretty happy about the two groups getting together and collaborating, you know, now it's a problem. So, right. you know, <laughs> you know, and so I'm just sitting back and I'm like, should I give them what they want? They don't want me to authorize anything. So if I don't authorize anything, it won't go up on the meetup page and, you know, our members will, you know, not be afforded the opportunity to, you know, go out and enjoy them, you know, and enjoy, you know, being with the other group because I know they were working on some type of barbecue for next year and, you know, um, I think they were going to try to get a permit so that they can have a party or something with a barbecue. And, you know, we had been talking about having a big barbecue family reunion or something like that, and I wanted to work with them. But apparently, you know, that's not what they want. So I'll give the people what they want. Now you you may go forth with the narrative that I will not work with that particular black secular organization because they rejected it. It's not because mm-hmm. of something that I did. So, you know, again, you know, the dark overlord has spoken so it is written, and so it is done. May the words be declared in all the land. Ichabod. And Lily put that I shall mind my own business, and I shall not put that information on our page anymore because apparently it upsets folks. So there you go, and the benevolent dictator will be moving on. someone blindly, I could have done I could have done that staying in the church. 
Exactly. It's funny that you said church because they say it reminds them of that church bullshit. But see, this is the thing. I don't talk to you. I don't talk to you online. I don't talk to you offline. I rarely say anything on my Facebook page at all. And it's just interesting because you can tell from the rhetoric that they were espousing that, you know, they're just recapitulating what they've heard, you know, you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum saying over there, right? And, right. you know, it's, the whole thing is interesting because we, it doesn't matter what I say or what position I play. I, you know, it, it's like as though they want to put me on defense and then they get angry when I laugh about it because it's all, look, I've been around the church I have a great, big, gigantic, dysfunctional family. Those type of games don't work with me. It's just funny because I've been dealing with this all my life. Um, One person found that out the hard way earlier this week. They were, you know, mentioning that they may have to move on and jump ship. And, you know, I wish them well and wish them on their way. Goodbye. Right. You know, you can't put me in a box like that. It just will not work. It doesn't happen like that. That's not how it it goes. And so, you know, for any of them that, you know, have an issue that I will not allow them to dictate to me, to force my hand or, you know, try to force me in a corner, I'm just going to continue looking at you and laughing. And like I said, I wish you well and be on your way. You know, I'll do like they did in the South back in the day when they would send their children from the South to the North to get away from the racism. I would fry you up some chicken, put it in a paper bag, and I'll put you on that little greyhound with your damn greasy-ass paper bag, mismatching suitcase ass on. Bye. Wow. So, you know, it's just, you know, the whole thing is just really interesting. And like I said, you know, the Chicago people, I I thought, you know, I thought I liked them. You know, I mean, it's nothing that would make me say otherwise, you know, other than yesterday. I mean, did you see how they were trying to twist those words? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty deliberate. Exactly. 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 And, and it's funny and that's why, you know, I'm saying that, you know, it seems like if they're going to be deliberate with that, their actions must have been deliberate in which they thought they were usurping my authority and co-opting my members. But it shocked them when they found out that I knew about it from the very beginning and I authorized it. So, again, I destroyed that lie that they were out there telling that, you know, uh, I was divisive and that I did not work with other black secular organizations, and I've proven that to be false. But since that is what they want, that is now what I will give them. You know, because we worked with um, Houston Black Nonbelievers, the Black Atheists of Philadelphia. We, you know, um, we welcomed other people. We're trying to get with a couple of other groups for a couple of things that are coming up in different cities. And so, you know, the whole thing is just funny to me because in that thread, in that thread alone, um, <laughs> I did not say one abusive thing. 
nothing came. I didn't cuss. They were the ones cussing. I just clarified that I was still in Chicago and that I was fully aware that my group was collaborating with them. You know, I made Frank. Frank was the president, but I'm still the executive director of the Chicago group. And so, you know, the whole thing is just interesting. Um, And for those who would like to complain and have some issues, take it up with Dr. Hutchinson. You can go take it up with her because I've spoken. And from this point forward. It was okay when you thought it was behind Kim's back. But now all of a right. sudden, you know that Kim was in on it is a problem. So right. that's that about. <laughs> the right. stupidest thing you, ever. It's the stupidest you know, thing ever. I, yeah, I mean, I don't understand it. And, I mean, you've had the same issue. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, people are trying to say that we don't want to work. No, it's not that we don't want to work with other black organizations, but I'm not going to allow my organization to become known for certain inappropriate behaviors that I've seen from that particular leader, you know, and and and, and what I'm you know trying to figure well, I don't out. Even, is, I wouldn't even put it on that. Like I mean, that might you know that's that you know that's your perspective and that's valid, but I right. would put it on mostly that we have different aims, and mostly exactly. like, we're not over here, you know, making fun of uh, religious people you know, saying that they're stupid or bashing the black church. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's not what we're doing over here. You know, and we're not and we're not over here using, you know, racist language in our presentation. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, to try I'm to talking make about it seem, yeah. yeah. I'm talking about that type of behavior right there. You know, um yeah. you know, poking fun at the church um, you know, using I mean, racist we poke fun at the church, but I mean there's there's a difference yeah, between, I think yeah, right, yeah, you right. know, because we we make fun of, of religious folks, we make fun of secular people, but you right. know, just the out and out vitriol that comes out of their mouth right. when they mm-hmm. they've called the church, they've called people in the church um, degenerates. They 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 try to paint them as ignorant and stupid, and we don't believe that, and we know that that's not true, and we're mm-hmm. not going to take part in painting that type of picture of the black church or the black community. And that's what I mean when I say, you know, right. certain behaviors, because mm-hmm. we're not going to allow that. That's never going to happen. I think we've all been down that road. But as you walk down that road and you you learn, you learn better. And when you learn better and you know better, you're supposed to do better. And that brings me back to, you know, last week's show in which we, you know, I specifically stated that, you know, quite a few of these people are uneducated or undereducated. I want to make sure I clarify that. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying they have to have the alphabet behind their name. What I'm saying is if you're going to present yourself as a subject matter expert in one particular, you know, genre or field, then you need to pick up some books about that. And had Mm -hmm. you... Um, had you picked up any, you know, simple book on critical race theory, you never would have, you know, said that Al Sharpton and Louis Farrakhan was on the chilling circuit. You never would have said that had you known anything about critical race theory. I mean, even the most rudiments, the most 
basic foundational aspects of critical race theory. And, and this is what we're talking about. There are a number of people who are in the secular community who do not have any letters behind their last name. And yet, you know, I, when I hear them speaking, you know, they capture my attention. Why? Because they have educated themselves on, on these particular topics. You know, they've sought out answers and they're still teachable. See, you know, you know, there are those of us that are out here, you know, you know, I learn from Rena all the time. You know, I learn from Dr. Hutchison, Dr. Penn, I learn from other people on the internet, people send me information. You know, I'm constantly learning, and my mind is open to learning, and my mind is also open to being changed. And that's why, you know, since the beginning of this show until now, you know, some of my opinions have changed because people were able to point some things out and prove it, and I did my research and found out that what I had been believing and saying were either fallacies or half-truths or just a couple of sprinkles of truth in, into it. And so, you know, I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong and, and learning from other people. And people learn from me as well. So that's, you know, that's how this goes. So, yeah, you know, we're not talking about, you know, people having, you know, the alphabet behind their names because, you know, even in this community, you know, which is allegedly built on meritocracy. We have seen people with 20 letters behind their names say some of the most asinine bullshit ever. Right. And We've we also call seen them people out. who pretending to have the alphabet behind their names. <laughs> 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 oh, 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 girl, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> You know, and that's, you know, and then again, we're, too, you know, today, you know, we're talking about uh, the airing of grievances and the airing of dirty laundry, and we're going to beat some dirty rugs, and yes, we're going to beat some dead horses today, too, and we will continue to laugh at those who are tilting at windmills. You're creating enemies that are not there, but you're making enemies while you're creating those enemies. Right. And so it's it's just the funniest thing ever. You know, I have been sufficiently amused and entertained, you know, in the past, you know, couple of weeks. And, you know, I don't even know what to say. It's so funny to me that all I can do is laugh. You know, sometimes there are no words that you can use um, to describe the, you know, hilarity that ensues in the background. And that's why, you know, we we talk about different things. And I know sometimes people are on the other end listening to the show and they're like, what are they talking about? And last week we spilled a little bit of the tea as to what's going on in this community. But like I say, you all wouldn't believe you know, some of the things that are happening, like we said last week, misappropriation of funds, you know, allegations of sexual assault, you know, and rape, um, you know, some bona fide cases of sexual harassment. We've seen this. Right. And it works both ways. You have some women out there sexually harassing men, but they think they can get away with it because they're women. But if that was a man doing that, you know, people would be all up in arms. Right. But, you know, 
I guess when you feel like that's the only thing you have to offer, I guess that's what you do, right? Maybe. So. Maybe. <laughs> moving on with the conversation there. So, yeah, so, yeah, like you said, people pretending to have letters behind their names. So for those that aren't familiar with that particular story, um, Teresa McBain, who was a believer and she was an assistant pastor at some church in Florida, and she came out at an American Atheist Conference and gave a talk And interesting thing about that is that she had still been ministering at her church until after the conference. And I think she had maybe one or two more sermons after the conference, and then she, you know, walked away or was forced to walk away. I'm not quite sure what the story is behind that, but she, you know, we'll just say she she added some letters behind her name and said that she had gone to Duke Duke University School of the Divinity. Mm-hmm. Right. And it wasn't true when she gave that story and it was published in the New York Times and the people over at Duke looked her up and found out that she was part of some summer program that she never completed and that she had not, you know, uh received her master's degree, as she had stated before. And so the New York Times wrote a story about that, and she ended up losing a position as Harvard University's chaplain. And now, mind you, that was her third or fourth position working with, you know, secular organizations. And, I mean, they immediately put her as executive director of a couple of organizations, and they were moving her around and, you know, moved her up to, you know, that position at Harvard. And I believe she served, like, one whole day as the chaplain, and and then they released her because of that fabrication. And so what happened was, you know, they laid low for a while. But in the meantime, you know, people were raising money for her and people were defending her, of course. Um, We talked about it on, you know, a show in, in which, you know, we tried to look at it from a number of different perspectives. So anyway, to make a long story short, she now has her atheist church, somewhere in Alabama. And so, you know, the whole thing is interesting because that's another example of white privilege. Because Mm -hmm. had that been a person of color, namely a black person who had fudged their resume and and had, you know, um, blemished the, you know, the shining name of atheism, they would have chased them out of the community. But they just had her slow, and then they gave her her own atheist church. I just find it absolutely amazing. And then I sit back and I look at some of these atheists of color, namely the black atheists in this community, who just, they're just seeming like they're going along to get along. And then you have the other ones out there that, you know, they they see some of this stuff and they ignore it. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just interesting how the atheist community resembles the church community so much because even within the church, you know, certain uh, denominations, what they'll do is they'll just transfer that person to a different church. They'll keep them around and just send them to a different church. Or like, you know, the situation with that Reverend Gilliard down in Florida, the one mega church, you know, he was pastoring, then he went to jail for molesting and, you know, impregnating, you know, an underage girl. When he got out of jail, another church picked him up because they knew he built their membership up. And basically, they banished the children from the church, and then it was a court battle, and I guess the kids can go back into church. But the things that people will do just so that they can, you know, get a following, but in this community, the things that they will do and say just to give a middle finger to the religious community. And we've talked, Raven and I have talked about it. It's like, you know, there it does, there doesn't seem to be any standards. As long as they're giving the middle finger to the church, you can come over here and declare that you're going to, you know, try atheism for a year. Now, you black preachers out there that have fallen from grace, you want to make some really good money, especially if you're a black male preacher, just come over here and fake the funk. You tell them that you left Christianity and you're coming over here and you're going to build you up a mega You're baptized and you're baptized in the the waters of non belief. Yes, yes, yes. You know, the atheist pool of purity, you know, and and baptized, and all your sins are washed away by the blood of the four horsemen. You know, um, they will give you money. So, you know, thing is, you know, I think I'm going to do a series on how to get money from the atheist community. You know, well, you better be careful because because um, if you if, you know if you see my blog, if you see how people reacted to my blog, I mean, you would have thought I killed somebody. So. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, it's really simple. All you have to do is say that you were a devout believer and you no longer believe it, and that you're coming over here. And if you can prove that you were a pastor somewhere or a minister, they will give you money. Well, you don't even have to prove it. Yeah, you don't. Just say it. And so it's just it's interesting, you know. It's funny to me, you know, absolutely hilarious. So, Raina, what you getting into the rest of this week here? It should be a short week for you, shouldn't it? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure, <laughs> actually. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, suspect, I suspect it'll be something involving my family, since it is a right. holiday. But um, but yeah, I don't go. really have any major plans. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah I, mean, and... I mean, it's not like I'm going to watch night service or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, the whole thing is interesting. Um, I am purposefully avoiding the story um, from yesterday in New York City. Oh, I don't New even York. really. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the yeah. police. That were... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's so crazy because it's like okay, you know, all this all this attention is shifted to. 
Now we need to have sympathy for the police officers. Okay, well, it's not like we have, we've ever had any shortage of sympathy for police officers in this country. What we have a shortage of sympathy for is people of color who are abused exactly. by the state. That's what we have a shortage of. That's not to say exactly. that, you know, that's not to say that we we think that what happened was a good thing by any means, but people who are trying to connect this, you know, to this larger conversation that we've been having about state violence in Ferguson and, you know, and what have you. This is this is really a way of distracting from that. You know exactly. What I mean? So right. now and, we're and back on to I was gonna say, so now we're back on to you know, um, well, I mean, basically, it's almost like bringing up the black-on-black crime argument, you know. But what, is, but what about their own communities? It's a distraction. Exactly. Exactly. You know, but, you know, I just sit back and you know, when they say that black-on-black crime mess, and, again, if they don't address white-on-white crime, then, you know, we shouldn't have to address black-on-black crime. But, you know, I'm sitting here and, you know, Darryl, Darren Wilson had absolutely no sympathy for Mike Brown or his family. And nice. and I'm sitting here watching, you know, the police, you know, union chief or whatever he is in New York City, you know, stating that, um, that you know, everybody should be feeling remorse for the police officers and their family. And I'm sitting here, and I'm I'm like, okay, there was no outcry from the police department when, you know, Mike Brown and others have been killed in cold blood, but you want everybody to genuflect and kiss your ass and bow down to these police departments that's creating violence in our own, in, in our communities. And so I'm just looking at it, and, you know, I'm trying... I'm, I'm weighing my words carefully because just my opinion on the whole situation is controversial and I'm just not willing to deal with it right now. I got enough stuff on my plate that I need to deal with, but at the end of the day, we need, but, it's, but I'll you know, say this, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Especially that, that, yeah. the, that the families of these men and, and these young men and, and even the um the young women or you know, and the other folks that have been victims of state violence out here should be made to feel like right. they must right. comment on this unrelated right. situation that has no, exactly. that had nothing to do with uh, with the response to state violence. This wasn't someone responding to state violence. This is someone who shot his girlfriend. Knew that he was going to have to deal with the police. Knew that he was going to have to deal with the police and decide and decided to take it upon himself to take a couple out. Now he might have felt some kind of way, had some other kind of feelings, but this had absolutely nothing to do with Trayvon Martin or Eric Garner or you know um, or any, the yeah, you know Ayanna Jones or any of these people. You know what I mean? Any, right, and see, and that's the whole thing because the way that they've sensationalized this story, nobody is asking about his girlfriend. I don't know if the girl is hanging off to her life or she's dead, you know, you know, the media, you know, they're focusing on the sensationalist story about two cops being shot. But what about this young, and wasn't she pregnant too? So, I mean, yeah. did the baby survive? And I mean, I, right. I don't know anything that happened to the young this woman. You is, 
if anything, mm-hmm. this is a story about this is a story about domestic violence, not right. a story about you know black people not trusting the police and you know uh, not knowing how to act around the police and you know this is why the supposed adversarial relationships exist between police and, and black people. That's not why it exists. It exists because the police have been used as a tool of terrorism against black communities. Right. From exactly. the beginning, you know what I mean. So this is why these things exist. Exactly, you know? and you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct, and that's why you know I'm looking. And, and at this, this gentleman thing. feared going to jail. Let's just keep it real. You know what I mean? Right. He feared going to right. jail. He knew. He knew after shooting his girlfriend that this was, you know, that this was a very real possibility. You know what I mean? Right. Now. Why he would choose to shoot two police officers in their car, not coming after him or whatever? I mean, I guess maybe he thought that they were going to be the ones to get the call. I mean, they're right, right. there. You know what I mean? So I mean, it, there's all sorts of explanations for why he might have chosen to shoot those officers and to shoot them at that possible time. They have absolutely nothing to do with. Oh, I'm mad because the state has shot and killed other black people. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. I think his, I think know, his motivations it, were entirely more self-serving than right. um, the way that it's been sen- sensationalized. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's what I'm saying, and that's why, you know, when we did the webcast, you know, that's why I mentioned us challenging the media and, and the way they sensationalize these stories and the narratives that they put up there, because a lot of it is just straight bullshit propaganda. And we have to learn, yeah, we have to learn how to tell the difference between the two. And so going back into, you know, black people not trusting the system, just in general. So I posted, you know, a Wikipedia page. And again, go to the links at the bottom, which can take you to other pages. And so basically, you know, we've talked about drapetomania and how um, they were saying that black people who were running away from slavery and the plantation, how it was a mental illness, especially when the slave masters were so generous and kind to them. And, you know, most, you know, in the past, let's say from the 1920s to the 1970s, they, you know, it's this book that I just ordered, and it's called The Protest Psychosis. And basically, um, it talks about how schizophrenia became a black disease and how with the DSM-2, how they added words hostility and aggression as signs of the disorder. And before you know, the the civil rights and the black power movements, um, schizophrenia was attributed to people like, you know, intellectuals or poets and, you know, something along that nature. But once black people started saying that they wanted civil rights and social justice, then because, you know, they wanted their equal rights, you know, more and more black people were being diagnosed as schizophrenic. And it was talking about an institution in Michigan, um, and it was like Iona State Mental Institution, Iona State Hospital. Yeah, they're pretty notorious, but go on. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, I mean, I ordered the book, The Protest Psychosis, because, you know, I just found the whole subject interesting because that was like the modern it's day not surprising. It's not surprising. Oh, no. I mean, it's the, it's the yeah. same thing that you see with um, with women, right, and the, right. and the use of the mental health system and it being abused. Um, there's a... There's a book that was written, I think, in the nineteen in the early um in the early part of the twentieth century, right? Maybe like nineteen ten or nineteen twenties, somewhere in there, right? Um, uh-huh. and I think it's called the Yellow Wallpaper. Okay. It was basically about this about this woman who, um, you know, her husband had her institutionalized, mm-hmm. um, and she was talking, and 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 basically it was it was really I think she was really suffering from postpartum depression. Right. You know what I mean? But um right. but because and and but you know all sorts of conditions. I mean, frigidity, you know, would be right. a, a thing that women would be, you know, locked up for um, you know, all types of things. You know, just these this notion that women are supposed to act a particular way and so when to to enforce that, they could be institutionalized. You know? Exactly. For for very exactly. minor things. I mean, you can see the girl um that movie Girl Interrupted and you know what I mean, and all of that. Of course, some of those women had some some larger issues, but you know, but it just exactly. illustrates how how women and and other groups have been treated um, exactly. by the mental health system. So exactly, exactly, and so that's why I'm ordering that book because I actually want to read a little bit more about that. And so you know, again. You know, because people were fighting for their civil rights and social justice, they were deemed, some of them were deemed as being schizophrenic. And it's just really interesting because, you know, you have people that will say in our community, oh, black people don't go to, you know, the psychiatrists or psychologists, you know. And we're seeing reasons as to why some of us were (laughs) quite against it because of, you know, false diagnosis. And, and, you know, and there are some people out here who are... Exactly, exactly. And it, 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 it strengthens structural racism. And so, right. you know, that's why we put this information. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, you know I had to be going somewhere with this. This is one of the reasons why when I hear atheists saying that Christians or black Christians, you know, or even just the black culture in some cases, some of these racist people out here, they try to say that it's a mental illness. And it's not. Right. And, right. and, and, go ahead, dear. No, I was saying right. Go ahead. Yeah, and so, you know, it's, it's not a mental illness, you know, people that believe. And this is one of the reasons why we fight that narrative, you know, that, you know, quite a few others, you know, have put out there and, and they continue to perpetuate that particular narrative, and we have to be careful with that. And even with what you're seeing today with the protests happening across the country, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how many people they attempt to railroad by, you know, giving them some type of mental, you know, um, health diagnosis. You know, will they be saying schizophrenia or will it be something different? You know, and like we say, history repeats itself. They just give it new names. 
new characters and new names, but, you know, the tactics that they use pretty much are the same. And this is why we bring the information to you all so that you can see what has been used over and over and how, in some cases, we contribute to to some of these issues by going along to get along and not challenging, you know, the, the narratives and, and the positions that certain people take. Right. You know, it definitely will be to our benefit. And so... Um, it's, it's just interesting, uh, and we got to keep an eye on that. got to keep an eye on that, you know, speaking of the protesters. And, you know, it's, it, it's just, it blows my mind. The people that are allowing Al Sharpton to try to co-opt this movement. This movement was started by three women, the Black Lives Matter movement. It started by mm-hmm. three here three LGBT black women. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I addressed this on the webcast, you know, it was in my opening remarks. And, you know, you have Al Sharpton and, you know, a number of other people attempting to co-opt this. And when he called himself having his little march in Washington and, you know, trying to lead the people, he knew those people were already out there protesting. Because one woman, one young woman at Howard University called for a protest on Howard's campus. 10,000 people showed up. Mm-hmm. 10,000. Just from from Twitter. Just from yep. freaking Twitter. The people out here that, you know, call other folks, you know, keyboard warriors or, you know, uh, or, you know, social media warriors, we're able to get a lot more achieved via social media than some of the tactics that I've seen, you know. So I'm just sitting there. I won't. I won't make any more comments about the six cupcakes. But you, you know, <laughs> you want to learn how to use social media. So it's, it's the whole thing is just interesting. But. um the way that I see that, that's why I said I want to do a show on Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer and how their movements were co-opted by black men. And, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer ended up dying in poverty, while the men who co-opted, you know, her movement had speaking engagements, had book deals, you know, they were making money. And the person who started it, the person that they didn't even acknowledge, died in poverty. And mm-hmm. I told you all how. Hmm? Yeah. And, you know, about yeah. how there was a march for women during the march on it's Washington. Also, it's also a comment on on the sort of um, the the gender separation in terms of poverty. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Women tend mm-hmm. to be more impoverished than men. Um, in general, you know what I mean, and it's just like, and if you right. look in our in in Black history, if you look at um, a lot of the male writers, a lot of the female writers, a lot of them got much harsher criticism. A lot of them were dismissed, you know, and a lot of them died in poverty, you know. Whereas a lot of the male the male writers, you know, some of whom were not as good as the female writers. You know, they received all these accolades. They had speaking engagements. They were sought after, you know, and they were supported. 
Exactly. And 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 you see that setting itself up, you know, now, which is one of the reasons why we push back at patriarchal system. And and, and I'm hoping it's starting to make sense to some of you out here. Um, why we push back so hard, and and. We have people out here that, you know, when we say, you know, when especially when Lakeisha did that um, tribute in recognition of the black women who were killed by state violence, you know, and you had people upset saying, well, you know, why are you focusing on the women? It should just be blacks altogether. Because the thing is, is that the women have always been pushed to the background. Right. And forgotten about, but you, yet you want us to give our money, our time. You want us to organize all of these things. And once it is organized and set up, you have these men trying to rush in and take over. And that's one of the things that I worry about even in the secular community. You know, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. That's why I told that person, you know, I wish you well and goodbye. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they trying to run in and take over. And I'm like, that's not how it goes. So the whole thing, we have to be vigilant about this, and we need to get the stories of these women, especially the three women that started um, um, Black Lives Matter, because I know they're probably sitting there and trying to figure out, you know, what is happening, you know, why, you know, everybody is receiving credit for what they put together. And their names are Alicia Garza, Patrice Colors, and Opal Tometi. Again, that's Alicia Garza, Patrice Colors, and Opal Tometi. And maybe I'll uh, post the link a little bit later, but I wanted to make sure that you all knew their name and understood who put this together because it's too many times that, you know, the women have been pushed to the side and forgotten about and and used. And so um, that's why I'm saying for the women, especially the women that have these, you know, groups and that are organizing and putting things together, you just have to be vigilant and keep an eye out because I already start, I'm seeing some of that trying to creep its way in. And unfortunately, with one of these women, of course they want the men up there because they're a black nationalist. That's what they're used to. That is what they've been taught. That is what they want. So anyway, you know, moving on from that, um, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at, what the hell? Okay, so... You know, I wanted to make sure we talked about that issue. But, you know, as I say to the young people that are out there protesting, you all keep up with your movement. You know, um, don't allow the old civil rights vanguard to come in and usurp and co-opt your movement. And that is the reason why, you know, I did not say anything or condemn the young woman who stormed the stage and grabbed the mic. Because I do believe that they were told that they would have a voice, that they would be able to speak, and they were lied to. And Al Sharpton is too busy trying to remake himself 
um, the, 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 you know, the, this generation's version of Martin Luther King, you will never be Martin Luther King, Al Sharpton. Get that out your head. And so I'm just sitting here and I'm looking and it's just a lot of confusion and, you know, it has to be addressed. Anyway, for those of you that are interested in calling in, the telephone number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273, and press 1. So, yeah, the whole thing is interesting, um, you know, how it's all coming about, but it's not as though this isn't, you know, unexpected unexpected at all, you know, so I guess my question to Raina would be, and I'll answer it as well. Now that we've had this little incident in Florida, um, I read a story, well, I didn't get a chance to read the whole story, I read the um, byline, and basically it was talking about the New York Police Department called some type of truce and told the police officers not to arrest people of color unless it was absolutely necessary. Now, I have to do some more research into that because I'm not quite sure, um, you know, what's going on with that there. But do you believe that what we've seen in the past day or two, um, do you believe that the police departments are becoming... um, how illegitimate or people are going to um, basically start demanding that the police officers that are chosen be more educated because, you know, we've seen the stories in which they will not hire people with high IQs as police officers. Do you think that needs to change? I mean... I don't even think that's the problem. I don't think it's the education level. You know what I mean? You're mm-hmm. ed- I mean, people who are educated tend not to be as racist, but the fact of the matter is, is that they're very racist, intelligent people. And, exactly. you know, we know that. We know that because uh, Francis Crick, uh, or not uh, not, Fran- not Francis Crick, sorry, um, James Watson, Francis Crick is not racist. Sorry, guys, don't. <laughs> don't use that. So yeah, James Watson, you know, is a very intelligent racist. You know what I mean? So I don't think it's that. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's the the institution itself and, and the laws that we have and their policies, you know, broken windows. You know, these are the things that need to change. You know? Exactly. Um, you can't necessarily um, just change the inst- the the sort of culture of an institution just by adding, you know, very highly educated or intelligent people if the institution itself is is racist, you know? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that was the point that I was trying to make because basically, you know, you have people out here who are saying that, you know, if you just change the police officers, that will change the, the culture. It will change the environment. No. You know, a lot of this is structural, and, and we need to make a lot of policy changes. And this is why you hear us saying that we have to dismantle and, you know, and deconstruct the whole system. And, you know, the way 
that's looking now is never going to happen, but, you know, these people, these young folks are out here at least trying to have a voice and trying to force a change. And, you know, again, like I said, the least that we can do is try to support them in one fashion mm-hmm. or another because you have people like, um, you know, like I said, Al Sharpton, and the other so-called civil rights leaders that have been in position, you know, 40, 50, 60 years, and nothing has changed. As a matter of fact, you know, it's gotten worse for people of color. The little wealth that we had acquired was wiped out. Right. So, you know, they yeah, have I mean, proven effectual. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, it's gonna take it's gonna take a lot, and it's not and it's not just the police. I mean, it's 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 really from right. top to bottom. You know what I mean? Exactly. If you change, like, it's not to say that like if you introduce like you know intelligent, you know, well educated police officers, that there will be no change, but it won't be long lasting change. It won't be meaningful change. You know what I mean? Is you know you might get right. some short term change. You might see the numbers of you know people arrested for you know small petty crimes or you know. Uh, things like you know resisting arrest, which you know if you if you look at if you actually look at the laws the laws regarding resisting arrest, you know something as simple as putting your arms out in front of you when you're when you're about to fall or be pushed to the ground, you know what I mean can be deter- right. can be thought of as resisting arrest. You know exactly. what I mean? It's you know just exactly. just things that are instinctual. You know what I mean? Um, right. You know. It's just you know it's it's ridiculous, but um, and I think mm-hmm. I mean I think also I think it just also takes a certain amount of um holding police officers accountable is something that we just have never really fully done. You know we have given a exactly. a lot more latitude to police officers to do their jobs than I really believe is necessary. I mean you know. I mean, is it really necessary to punch a suspect, particularly if you're already, if you've already got custody of the suspect and they're already in handcuffs? You know what I mean? Right. Is that necessary? You know what I mean? Is is the way that officers, um, you know, sometimes even speak to um, people that they're thinking about arresting? You know, I think um, that has to be talked about too. I mean, yes, you know, um, citizens have a responsibility not to escalate the situation. Um, exactly. But we're also, but we're also human beings. You know what I mean? And we may, and we may feel like we're being wronged, and we may raise our voices, and we may, you know, we may even shout if we feel we we need to shout. But that doesn't necessarily give one uh, an officer, um, you know, the right to say that this person is threatening. You know, exactly. Particularly when they've made no threatening gestures. Gestures. You know, people are allowed to emote. You know what I mean? And exactly. they have to be able to emote, um, you know, and to, right. do, and to do otherwise is just, is it's just ridiculous. You know, I mean, it's... Now, it's so many of them that want us to be robots. They want us right. to be robots. They want us to be, you know, subservient in every way imaginable. And that's why, you know, I want people to go and look that information up about dryptomania and the protest psychosis and start looking at the history of this because, again, you know, with with the runaway slaves, you know, that was a mental illness. And then because of people's civil rights ideas, they call that a mental illness, schizophrenia. And who knows what they're going to call this new, you know, wave of protests. 
and and this new wave of demanding social justice and civil rights. And, you know, I just want people to see the patterns. There's a pattern in all of this. And and that's the main, if you don't get anything else from that particular, you know, uh, conversation, I want you to get that there is patterns, and they use these patterns. Well, there are patterns, and they use these patterns to pigeonhole us, and we tend to fall for it. And this is why we're putting the information out here. We want you to think, children. You know, use those critical thinking skills beyond questioning religion. You have to get out here and you have to read and study and research. And this is what we mean when we say, you know, to educate yourself about, you know, these types of issues. Um, There's nothing wrong with being an autodidact. I mean, I know some people who are autodidact. I mean, hell, Bill Gates never finished college. You know, Mm -hmm. and and a number of other people that did. It's nothing wrong. I mean... I just sit back and, like I said, you know, the number of letters you have behind your name does not matter. You can always educate yourself on, you know, these issues. And I found that book you were talking about, The Yellow Wallpaper, by Charlotte mm-hmm. Perkins Gilman. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I put that in my little wish list. So, um, yeah, so that's what's going on. We just want to make sure that you guys are aware of what's happening out here and the implications of what's going on. And you and I talked briefly um, the other day about the relationship between the United States and Cuba improving. Right. And and, um, Cuba always had, you know, an open medical program in which, you know, American students went over there and became doctors. And it, Mm -hmm. it was free. So, and, you know, most recently we saw that Germany is offering free education to Americans. And, you know, with the relationship opening with Cuba, of course, corporate interests, they're salivating because, you know, they have a new set of people to go over and, you know, to get fat and give gas to. So, you you know, it should be interesting, especially since with Cuba, they've withstood all of the embargoes and sanctions that America has put on them. And, you know, there's really no such thing as virgin territory, but if you're going to say any place is as close to it as possible, that is it right there. But the Castro right. brothers are very smart, so, you know, it should be interesting watching this develop. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're basically stuck in the 1950s. <laughs> right. You know what I mean, yeah, for exactly. the most part. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they're still stuck in the 1950s. So, I mean, you know, for those that are, you know, business savvy and, you know, have some contacts, that's something for you to think about. You know, I honestly was saying that when I retired, I was going to retire either in South America or Cuba. But if they're going to turn Cuba into another version of America, I'm going to have to find somewhere else to go and retire. (laughs) (laughs) I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it here. I can only imagine being on on an island. You know what I mean? So that's not Mm going to work for me. So uh, we'll see. You know, I'll sit back and watch and see how that develops. But, 
Yeah, so, you know, I'm sitting And there's back also, there. just for those of you that are interested, there's a um, petition, uh, or not a petition, but, well, there's several petitions going around regarding Asada Shakur. Um, those of you that don't know, you know, she is um, has been living in exile in Cuba um, for, you know, for decades now. Um, she was, um, well, basically she was convicted of killing a state trooper in New Jersey. But um, there's a number of facts, you know, surrounding her case that um, are highly questionable. Um, right. And, uh, and it looks, and, it, and, and of course, those of us who have, you know, ever studied that period of time know that people like her were victims of, um, of a justice system that is biased against people right. of color that were particularly biased against um, people who identified as, as Panthers or um, were interested in, in matters of social justice. So, um, you know, she she's there. And, of course, there are people in New Jersey, authorities in New Jersey, that are, that are salivating um, at what mm-hmm. they believe is now their chance to uh, get her and, and take her back into custody. So um, there's petitions going around, hands off of SADA um, and what have you. So take a look at those, you know, consider, you know, signing them. So. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, you want to keep that in mind and take that into consideration. So, yeah, just sitting back and... Um, Anyway, so, you know, I'm looking at some of the stories that you got Rudy Giuliani and Stacey Dash and all of these people that are making, you know, all of these irrational um, statements about how all of this is Obama's fault about the two cops being killed. It's unreal. Mm. Absolutely unreal. It really is. And, again, you have people, you know, in the community that are out here and, you know, can't understand why, you know, we talk about social justice and why we say that it's important. But, you know, we want one thing for you all to understand is when they're done with us, who do you think they're going to turn on? Mm-hmm. I just want you to think about that really hard. You know, when they're done beating us and, you know, further disenfranchising, you know, the black community and the LGBTQ community, eventually it's going to get back to the white community. And it's just interesting, but, you know, you do have, people out here that are protesting, you know, with the hands up. I've seen people say, well, where are the lawyers? Where's the legal um, community? And I've seen the legal community doing hands up in different areas. Now, let me tell you why I'm kind of leery about it now. And we need, we need, we need the allies. We need people bringing attention to all of this. But when I saw the Congressional Black Caucus, 
doing hands up. I was confused, right? Now. Especially since they voted to militarize the police. What, what the hell are you but, doing putting your hands up when you gave them the equipment? Agreed. But you also have to remember that, you know, um, part of part of the part of the Democrats um part of just how the Democrats have responded to these things. Um generally people you know, people in this country were very concerned about crime, particularly in like the late eighties and early nineties. So like this whole like be tough on crime thing became very, very popular. You know, particularly right. on drug crime. And there were people who were just you know, they I mean they just they they didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? Their communities were being overrun. You know what I right. mean? So it it seems like the only viable solution at the time. You know what I mean? Right. Now, obviously we know the damage that this has done. You know what I yeah. mean? But for a lot of these people, they didn't know what to do. They didn't have any resources or any idea how to stem the tide. And so this right. seems like the best option. So I'm not saying that I I uh, disagree <laughs> with with your sentiment. <laughs> I'm just saying I also understand that some of these people are dealing with constituencies that um, you know they that felt like they were being overrun and there was just no other option, you know, but to put these sorts of tools into the police hands, you know, or at least right. they saw it anyway. Right, and I'm sure many of those same constituents are now kind of regretting, you know, pushing some of those issues because they've taken it way too far um, in regards to this, you know, you know, getting tough on crime and especially, you know, with the policies that were implemented and signed by Ronald Reagan and, you know, we I posted a couple of articles talking about that. And Noam Chomsky, you know, pretty much chewed Reagan up and spit him out and was talking about how quite a few of the policies that were implemented by Ronald Reagan pretty much re-enslaved African Americans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just trying to look at it from that perspective is, you know, it's very disheartening. You know, considering, you know, what we've been through and how, you know, while we were, you know, trying to protect the little bit that we had in our families, how that was taken and and it's run amok because, you know, like you were saying earlier about the broken windows policies, you know, what's interesting is some of these laws were not laws until people declared that it was a law and somebody was breaking it because they wanted, you know, justice or they wanted to, you know, arrest somebody. And it's just interesting because if you go and you look at some of the history of all of this, you'll see that some of these laws are quite arbitrary. And that is why mm-hmm. you have just striking down certain laws. Because over at Ferguson, when they first started protesting, the police there implemented this five-second law or five-second rule. Right. And if you mm-hmm. didn't disperse within five seconds then they would arrest you. And, you know, a judge said that that was illegal, that it wasn't really a law, 
but that's because they challenged it. And the people in, in Ferguson also challenged the police using tear gas, which was mm-hmm. illegal. But they were using it, and they were able to buy more. And so, you know, again, it's important for you all to pay attention to these things and understand why, you know, these, these again, like I say, these arbitrary laws that people just think of at the moment. You know, it's, it's just it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh well, did you? Oh, but did you hear the? Um, <laughs> did you hear that Supreme Court ruling though? That um, that that came down a few a few weeks ago. Um, they were talking about um, uh, what was it? It was oh, I I need to look it up. But um, but basically, you know, it has. Um, I'll put it on the wall because I can't remember it. And I don't want to say it incorrectly. Um, but essentially, you know, you need to keep an eye on these things because, oh, this is what it was. Okay, so um, I think in North Carolina or something, they have, I don't think that they have a really strict, like, seatbelt law, right? Like, I think okay. that they can, I think, I don't think they can pull you over for a seatbelt. I might be getting this wrong, but it's, whatever it was, it's an infraction that's not um, enforceable okay. in North Carolina. Gentleman got pulled over for it. The police officer who pulled him over was under the impression that this was an infraction that he could that he could enforce in North Carolina, but it's not on the book. Right. Decided to search the gentleman's car and found oh, you know and and found cocaine, right? Or asked to search the guy's car, found cocaine, but said he had probable cause. But basically, the justices said that if it is a an infraction that would um, that or, or an officer would believe was a reasonable infraction or thought that it might be legal based on this on the state you know state that they're in, even if it's not on the books, they can pull you over. And see, yeah, I, I read that. I read a little bit about that last yeah. week. And the thing is, is that there we go again arbitrary in nature and subjectively applied. Right. And and, and it's absolutely horrible, and they're making it up as they go along. So, in other words... It's like, how do you pull pull somebody over for something that's unenforceable, then search their car, and then have it still stand? What you pulled them over for wasn't enforceable in the first place. It's not even on the books. Right. And, I mean, I don't think... I gave him permission to search his car. Maybe he did. You know, maybe I'm. I don't know. I don't know if he gave him the permission or not. The but the point is, is that he was pulled over for something that right. was not a violation in his exactly. in the state. Exactly. The officer exactly. just thought it was a violation. Right. You know, and it's just it's interesting because yeah. He just you now you can just pull people over. Wow, I think they looked at me crazy. You know, police and it's just, and it's so crazy because people because this is this is um, part of the problem with you know with class and race in this country is like we we feel like we're protected, right? Like we have this we we believe that we're in this invisible bubble of respectability, right? And then right. you know nobody can really hurt us so long as we're not doing things that look like these groups, right? We don't do anything that's quote-unquote suspicious. But eventually that shit gets back around. You know, a lot of these, a lot of, a lot of states and a lot of jurisdictions are, are dependent 
upon the, the, the money that is pulled in from these traffic violations. You know what I mean? They're, 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 you know, the, the Republicans are, are coming into power based on cutting taxes. But then they raise right. all of these traffic, raise all their money, the difference in these traffic violations. So this has real repercussions, possibly. Right. I mean, not just not just for people who are, may be involved in criminal activity. You know, I'm not I'm not suggesting that, you know, that criminals shouldn't be prosecuted, but they need to be. It needs to be happening in in the proper way. You know what I mean? Right. In order for right. in, in order for it for it not to get to a point where um, everyone's rights are violated, you know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. Well, you no longer and, have and, rights. Yeah. I mean, basically, right. that's what they're saying. You no longer have rights, and that they can pull you over, and they can, you know, um, they can jail you for anything that they want. And you know, you know, I'll just say this, you know, even if that police officer is not known for having upstanding integrity, even if it's caught on tape and, and the truth comes out, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they say and do is justified in many cases. And, again, that goes back to what we said about policies. There are policies on the books that make it damn Im- near impossible to convict a police officer. And what's interesting mm-hmm. is, there was one police officer that was fired and denied their pension because they stopped another police officer from choking out a subdued suspect. This person wow. was already subdued and handcuffed, and they stopped this police officer from choking the person out, and the person who stopped the police officer that stopped the attack was fired and denied wow. their benefits. I don't know what's happening anymore, and... I'm just sitting back and I'm just looking at all of this, and it's really nowhere to run because mm-hmm. colonialism. And this is why, know? and this is why we keep telling people that they need to use these critical thinking skills that they so prize in this community because we have, right. you know, we always challenge, you know, religion and religious authority and you know all these other things, but no one wants to attack these other religions, like the religion of. Of, of sort of the authority of the state, and I know this is probably sounding like some of these anarchists out here, right? I don't. I believe that that you know states are are good. I believe the states protect people in some cases, right? But I I, I don't believe in the state blindly. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I don't believe in it blindly. I don't. I don't think that everything that the state does is justified. You know what I mean? And um, and I think that's and I think that's the difference, right? So, um, you know, we have to just question these things, these things that we take as, um, that we just um, accept unconsciously, you know, like, oh, well, the police officer was just doing his job. It's like, but was he, though? You know what I mean? Do we right. pay him to um, to violate people's rights, their civil and human rights? Exactly. I don't know. It's just, it's just it's hard in this community to deal with certain people. You know, people who are able to to question authority in other respects, but they never challenge the authority of, of police who say, you know, who who we have evidence have acted, you know, right, uh, you know, uh, unethically, you know, or unlawfully, you know, just straight right. up unlawfully. And I mean, it's so, and it's and and, and this is 
I, I don't I haven't watched this um this thing yet. I think I recorded it. But um, you know, there was a talk um that was given not too long ago. Um actually it was a panel and it was called When Police Shoot and part of it was given by uh the group that's putting together the funds for the National Law Enforcement Museum. And um you know me. I, I'm I'm like the National Law Enforcement Museum. I'm like, that sounds like a like a great big bit of propaganda because um <laughs> because right. you know, unless they're gonna include somehow in this museum the history of the police that includes, you know, terrorism and and other sorts of abuse, I, I, I see it as a big propaganda tool. You know what I mean? Right. Because um, you know, I mean, even in like even in Mississippi, you know, with like Mississippi Burning and all these other places, you know, you you, you know the the movie is Mississippi Burning, but you know, a lot of times what you find, particularly in the civil rights movement, is that police were either directly involved or complicit right. in the exactly. murders of, of of civil rights workers. Yeah, you know, sometimes they gave up inf- if they weren't directly involved, they gave they might have given information that might have compromised someone, whether knowingly or unknowingly. But you know what I mean? They shouldn't have never um, shared the information. Is the over illegally. Right. I was going to say, but they, even if they didn't intentionally mean to get someone killed, the point is, is they shouldn't have never given the information. The information was not, you know, to be given to those types of individuals, you know? Mm-hmm. But Exactly. And that's the reason why you had groups like Anonymous outing the police officers that were, you know, involved with the Klan. And, you know, that is more frequently than people even realize. And that's why we tell people to pay attention. And this is why you hear a lot of these politicians talking about states' rights and how how they want their states to determine how, um, you know, money is spent and administered and how certain laws are interpreted and implemented. And that's why they're yelling smaller government and more states' rights because, again, you know, it's shown, you know, over the years that when the states are able to administer programs and funds for different programs that people of color Namely, black people are, you know, disenfranchised, you know, unfairly. And and they want to, you know, to be able to maintain, you know, that system. You know, telling people of color that they don't qualify, you know, for certain things. Again, because we've talked about how welfare was created for white women, white women who were married to servicemen to supplement the income while their husbands, you know, were overseas or on duty or what have you, and how it was never meant um, to be implemented for blacks and Latinos and people of color. But, you know, throughout the years, they've had to, and this is one of the reasons why they have that myth out there saying that the biggest, you know, um, recipients of welfare are black women, and, and that's untrue. The biggest recipient of welfare are white people, white women. And a lot of people don't seem to understand, you know, when they talk about um, affirmative action, they always point to the black people, but white women have benefited far greater than any black person as far as affirmative action is concerned. 
And again, this is why when we talk about this so-called war on women, you know, there are a lot of white women that are siding with a lot of these conservatives, not realizing that the people that are going to be hurt the most are them. Because we've kind of, you know, we've kind of devised ways on how to survive and how to kind of rely on each other and to make do. And unfortunately, you know, there are quite a few, you know, white people that haven't learned that. That's the reason why when you saw the stock markets crashing, you saw people jumping out the windows and killing themselves and their entire families. And I'm not saying that you don't see that in the black community because you do. You know, but I'm just saying that um, just the wealth and inequality in this country, it costs more money to, to, to keep this inequality up. If they were to level the playing field, it actually would be less money be, being spent. But nobody wants to talk about that. Right. You know, so the whole thing is interesting. Um, a lot of changes that need to be made, a lot of information and that needs to be brought out to the forefront, and there's so much to talk about. Um, but, yeah, I'm just going back. You're going to skip around a little bit to what you were saying about respectability politics. And the interesting thing about it is that, coming back to the secular community, you see a lot of that over here. This was the last place that I thought I would see a lot of respectability politics. But you're seeing it more and more. Um, You know, I just, I'm outdone. Absolutely outdone. So anyway, for those that are familiar, um, the Freedom From Religion Foundation did a billboard ad in Chicago and I am on one of the billboards, and what I thought was interesting about this set, because there are, like, um, another set that's going to come out in a couple of weeks, and on this set, you know, everybody declared themselves an atheist, and on my billboard it said that I'm a free thinker and a humanist. And when I saw how mine was just so much different as far as my declaration as to what I believe in and all of that. I just thought that was interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, I just thought it was interesting, something that, you know, but anyway, so Black Skeptic Chicago, we have a billboard coming out, and one of my members, Cheryl, she has a billboard that's coming out as well. And so um, it's, the whole thing is quite interesting, and we had a good time um, taking the pictures and meeting the photographer and the president of the um, Freedom from Religion Foundation Chicago chapter. So we enjoyed that, and um, looking forward to working with them again in the future. So I just wanted to make sure that I put that information out there, that people can go out and see it, Um, I'm going to drive around Chicago one day this week and go and take a picture at one of the billboards just so I can kind of have a picture and all of that fun stuff. So, you know, we thank them for this opportunity. We appreciate it. And so, 
did you go? It's interesting, you know, how it all comes about. So anyway, for those that are familiar or are not familiar, we do a Twitter chat pretty much every week. I didn't do one this past Thursday because I was tired. And this Thursday coming is Christmas Day. Maybe I will. Maybe. Huh? I said, well, okay, well, maybe you will, but maybe I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why I said, yeah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's a good chance that I won't and because because I need some rest, too, you know. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that. You know, the last show of the year, which is next Sunday, you know, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to give myself that day off. So it depends on what happens between now and next Sunday, what kind of, you know, fuckery goes on in the community then that will determine whether or not I want to do a show next Sunday or not. But we're putting together some lineups for January and, you know, getting out here and getting, um, you know, more involved in our research and bringing information to you. Because The Arrogance of Faith is the book that I want to tackle. It's such a big book. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, I know it's going to be interesting because it's talking about religion and racism in the United States. And so I already know I'm going to have a really good time with that book like I did with Michael Lackey's book and Dr. Hutchinson's book and, you know, as many, many more so for those of you that get a chance to go out there, you may want to pick that up and take a look at it. And I can't wait until my uh, book, The Protest Psychosis, comes in. And, again, I just want to see how, you know, how all of these diagnoses can be traced, you know, and, and how it went from being, you know, um, an illness that basically pertain to, you know, again, poets and artists and people of that nature, it it became a black disease. And, you know, how many people were railroaded into that. So it it should be interesting, Um, you know, reading that on my page when I posted that Wikipedia, Ralph um, posted some information about a revolutionary bookstore owner in Buffalo, New York, I believe. Um, who was railroaded and, you know, um, put in jail. And and it was just interesting because he made a charge against the psychiatrist because the psychiatrist had diagnosed him as being paranoid. And, you know, basically he was saying that, you know, he wasn't paranoid, he was angry. And now he's angry that they called him paranoid. And so it's just really interesting. If you get a chance to go out to my wall, take a look at it, I haven't had a chance to really go through it and do a, do a lot of research on it yet. But I made a note to go back to that because I thought that was quite interesting. And, and many people deemed that bookstore owner... Um, a prisoner of consciousness, so basically a political prisoner. And, you know, maybe we should do a show on that, political prisoners in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be interesting, and that kind of ties back into the Sada Shakur, um, 
you know, um, story. And it's interesting. And I also want to do a show talking about um, going a little bit into W.E.B. Du Bois's um, views on double consciousness. And so mm-hmm. I, think, I think we're ready to tackle that. I think they can handle that. And, you know, I've been itching to do that show on how we, people of color, contribute and perpetuate, to a certain degree, um, white supremacy. You think they're ready for that one yet? You know, I've been sitting on that for a while. Nah, I don't think so. You don't think they're ready for it yet? Mm-mm. Okay, so <laughs> we'll show that, you know, because Raina and I tease each other all the time. And, like, see... <laughs> So it, it, the whole thing is interesting. Um, a lot of things that we want to talk about, some things we know people aren't ready to talk about yet. And it's just interesting because um, one of our listeners, you know, I I interacted with her on Twitter, and she was talking about, you know, um, her family and how they fought against redlining, so on and so forth. And so when we talk about community, you know, she was wondering basically, um, you know, her community is fine because she was, you know, her family was afforded some privileges because they fought back and would not accept that status quo. And so they they volunteer with Habitat for Humanity. And so, you know, I just suggested that they take some of the materials for Habitat for Humanity and pass it out in, you know, the black community because there are a lot of people out there that don't know about the Habitat for Humanity program. And um, if they do know about it, they feel as though they don't qualify, and many of them do. So it's just a matter of passing the information along and encouraging people to, you know, be a part of that program. And, you know, it's actually, you know, an honorable program. And, you know, I have great respect for, you know, Jimmy Carter. I have a lot of respect for that. And as a matter of fact, maybe we'll do a show about Jimmy Carter and, what he did, you know, for the it black It sounds unit. almost like you're saying Cotter, like, welcome back, Cotter. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jimmy sorry. Carter, I, was so, I was like, I don't, I was, girl, you already know, you know, it's like when I was in Atlanta, when I lived down there, I had friends, and they were like, you sound like a northerner that's been in the south too long. So I'm used to it, especially because we used to make fun of people down there. You know, the word burnt, you know, like you burnt yeah. your toast, they would say right. point, right? Oh, and wow. Yeah, instead of saying point, like you're pointing your finger, they would say burnt. And we were like, if you could say oh. burnt, burnt, if you could say point, right. you could say, you know, anyway, right. you know, <laughs> you know, it was just interesting. Anyway, so, yeah, it probably does sound like I'm saying Carter, but no, I'm saying Carter, C-A-R-T-E-R, Jimmy Carter. He was a good man, peanut farmer. And, um, you know, I want to talk about, 
you know, how he helped the black community when he was in office and talk about, you know, why he was voted out. And it's just, you know, the whole story about that is interesting. But we'll just say it's centered on the fact that he was doing a little bit too much for communities of color. In addition to, you know, the issues with people being held hostage, you know, and and it's just, you know, again, a lot of propaganda even around that. And, you know, just, it was just interesting. All of that. That was a right around the time Jesse Jackson went over there and got those people, and he ran for president. You know, right. mm-hmm. a little bit after that as well. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. I would actually like to know the backstory on some of that. That's some more research for us, huh? Yeah. So I think so. It's going to be interesting, but you know. Just in case I don't do a show next Sunday, I definitely want to thank everybody who's listened to the shows, caught the archives, um, those that have passed the information around, and, and, and those who have taken time out to communicate with us, whether they called in or emailed us or inboxed us. Because, you know, we got a couple of beautiful, you know, inboxes a couple of weeks ago. From I got one, one of our this past week, so yeah. Excellent, mm. excellent, excellent. Someone and saying I, that I, they appreciated our show and that they learned a lot from us and to keep doing what we're doing, and we really appreciate that. That makes us feel good. So thank you. Exactly, exactly. We appreciate it, and we love bringing this to you. You know, like I said last week, I enjoyed this. You know, and and it's just. Interesting because there are some people that you can't please. They're going to be angry and upset with anything that you say and do. And I've learned over the years that you can't please everyone. But it's real easy to piss everybody off. So I do so from the comfort of my Oh, it really is. Oh, that's funny. So you had to do it from the comfort of my home, you know, in my wife beater and my shorts. And so, <laughs> even though I probably shouldn't call those trips that anymore, should I? But you know, no. But most, but most people identify with that name, and it is just too. What, what movie did that come from? Did that come from June? It didn't come from. No, it came from. Okay, so it came from two places. It came from cops. Uh-huh. And it came from it came from cops. You know that that really horrible show that they used to have on Fox. You know where right. they would basically yeah. Um, so it came from that, and it came yeah, and it came from Jerry Springer. Ah, okay. See, I never knew where it came from because I was like, because I know they said. But mainly, about it, it came from cops. Mainly, it came from oh. cops. So they call these teachers wife beaters and cops. Oh, that's yeah, funny. So basically, they didn't call them wife beaters and cops. What happened was is that a lot of times um, where they would have, like, domestic incidents, the person um, that got apprehended would be wearing a shirt like that. So they just <laughs> came to be called wife beaters. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> 
I never knew where it came from. It's just that I know the first time I heard it, some of my little cousins, that's what they called it. And me and my, my cousin, their mom, we were sitting there laughing our asses off because we thought about it. And, yeah, it's like whenever you saw that on TV, that's what they would be wearing. That's what they would be wearing, and that's why that's why it came from God. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hilarious as hell. Okay, so sitting around in my shorts and my tank top. <laughs> oh, that is funny as hell. Anyway, so... You know, I aim to piss more people off next year. So be ready, be ready, and be ready some more. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, you know, every year I promise that, you know, we're going to raise the standards of excellence, and we do. And so we're going to raise it a few notches. We're going to make some leaps and bounds because I think, you know, we need to engage people on, you know, some conversations, some hard conversations that we need to have. Um, you know, and again, talking about white supremacy and our role in it, we probably won't do that at the beginning of the year, but before the end of the year, we're going to have that conversation because I think it's needed. We need to do a show talking about capitalism and how it's tethered to racism. And I posted an article about libertarianism and how it's just a phony ideology and how, you know, it's just a shield for big business interests. Um, I think I want to do a show talking about that and their, and their queen, Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, and the reason for that is because you have a lot of people of color buying into that particular um, ideology, and I want to explain, you know, how we see it, you know, how I see it, and how that is not suited for the best interests of our community. And what's interesting is, you know, with these libertarians and conservative Republicans, they have a real stronghold in the atheist community. And even if you look at what some of these atheists of color are saying when they give their presentations, if you pay attention, you know, some of it is rooted in libertarianism. And it's it's just really interesting because you have a lot of people, you know, um, espousing the words of some of the, you know, great ones, the celebrity atheists in this community, and they've never taken the time to go back and and, and understand where that statement came from in the proper context. Right. They repeat it because it sounds cool, and these are right. the talking points, and they're trying to shut down arguments. And, you know... Um, you know, some of the arguments that, you know, I've heard, you know, people try to use against us is that we're hostile and we're vitriolic and we're angry and all of these things. And if we're angry, we have a right to be angry. 
who are you mm-hmm. to tell me not to be angry? Mm-hmm. If I want to be angry, I'm going to be angry. And so I just sit back and, you know, I, I laugh at some of the things that I see because some of these people with some of their beliefs and some of the things that they say, you know, they're tap dancing right on the line between, you know, criminally insane and just having no clue, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, what is really going on in this community? So this is why we question a lot of things. This is why we laugh at a lot of stuff. Even with people, you know, attempting to antagonize us for one reason or another, it's funny to us. Mm-hmm. And so we're just telling mm-hmm. you, keep entertaining us. Keep it up. It's funny. You're not going to change anything. Nothing. Only thing you're going to make us do is come out against you even more because that seems to be what you thrive on and what you want. And so, you know, um, you know, speaking of that, uh, I'm trying to decide if I want to broach that subject or not. You know, because, again, some of the rhetoric that's being espoused out here, you know, we've been quiet on a lot of things. And, you know, we started speaking up a little bit more this year, most recently with Raina's latest blog. Um, You know, we spoke to some rather specific issues in this community. And, you know... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put a stop on it anymore. I'm taking a pause, but no. We're gonna start challenging you. And challenging mm-hmm. what you're saying out here. Because a lot of the rhetoric that you're espousing is dangerous, is violent, and it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna point it mm-hmm. out. So I don't want you to be confused. I'm telling you, Absolutely. we're going to bring it out. And, you know, we can talk a little bit about, you know, the quote-unquote sanctified hoes, end quote, right. for the next few minutes, because just the title alone is offensive. Yeah. And Absolutely. You know, Especially you know, when you're ta- when you're when you're getting ready to talk about the black church, and there's already this stereotype that black women are are um, you know lascivious by nature. Yeah, you know sapphire. I mean? There's right. There's this well, not just sapphire, but um, right. Je- Jezebel, basically. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, there's there's a lot of. Um, and actually, I think I told you about this book before. There's a book called um, uh, Clinging to Mammy. And it talks about how, like, the Mammy stereotype and the Jezebel stereotype kind of actually uh, feed off of one another. So there's this right. idea that black women are unattractive, but yet they're very se- they're very hypersexual. So that they're... Because um, right. someone has to be having sex with them, because otherwise, there's, where are all these light-skinned babies coming from, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but the notion is, is that somehow like black women are just hypersexed and so they they um trick and seduce um you know people into having sex with them rather than people actually being attracted to them but 
uh, that's that's part of why we find the whole sanctified hose thing to be particularly um, damaging because it it really calls up a, a stereotype of black women as being you know very hypersexual and that's it's not okay you know no it's not okay and unfortunately you know there are some black women that have bought into that stereotype because they feel as though that is expected of them. And this is one of the reasons why we want to bring it to the front. Maybe we'll help somebody. But mainly is to deconstruct that particular argument, and especially the way that it is being levied at black Mm -hmm. women black Christian women, but because the black community, um, you know, is, you know, heavily, you know, religious as far as statistics are concerned, um, you know, is being levied at the black community, and we have a problem with that. Right. And it it also calls, and and beyond just the sort of gender, gender, um, you know, racialized gender stereotypes, there's just this notion that black people are somehow, like, less moral. Right and right. less in control of themselves than right. other groups, which just isn't true. And that's true, exactly. Right. It's not true at all, and that's the reason why you know we have a lot of you know issues, and you know it, it's just interesting because you know you have some people in this community that just cape up for everybody, but they're. But, but you know, the community that they're claiming that they want to help. And so mm-hmm. I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at it. And, you know, I got so many comments in the back of my head. And it's just dig after dig after dig after dig. And that's not what I came to do today. We'll do that after the show and I'll call you. And just, okay. you know, and <laughs> whatever you got to do to get it out of your system. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't call me back last night, Slick. Oh, we'll sorry. talk about that next day. Uh huh. But um, you know, it's just the whole thing is funny. It's it's funny, funny, funny. And today, you know, I woke up and I'm looking at my at my news feed and I'm looking at some of the things that are going through. And I almost used the hashtag that Emily used today, and it was like hashtag fix it, Jesus. That's <laughs> funny. So sometimes look at your news feed, that is how you feel. You know, but, you know, ever yeah. since I kicked, you know, one day I just went on this mass unfriending. And I think I kicked about 50 people off my page. And, you know, a few people I didn't want to kick off, but, you know, I hit their asses. And so it's just the whole thing is interesting. And I'm laughing because after last week's show and, you know, some of the comments, you know, from this week's show, you know, can you hear it, Raina? Can you hear it? Do you hear it? Hear what? The uh, the, the comments? Oh, yes, I, I hear the reactions. Yeah, in my but, but mind. I can Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But not only the comments, but the solid, gentle clicks of unfollow, unfriend, oh, block. Oh, funny. Block. I hear it. It's in the air, girl. They will write limericks about us, you know? Oh, no. They're 
there was once was a last name Tim. Kumbaya, kumbaya, kumbaya. And, you know, some people, they wouldn't use the word last. They would take the L off. <laughs> Mm-mm. I'm okay with that. <laughs> You catch me on the right, you know, because I was laughing, you know, about yesterday. And I was, like, saying to myself, you know, I've been trying my best to, you know, steer clear of drama and madness and mayhem and chaos, right? Mm -hmm. And I like, said to myself, I'm like, some of these people ain't going to be happy until I pull a Jack-Jack on them, right? Now, you remember Jack-Jack from The Incredible? Uh, sort of, yeah. The baby. Oh, the baby, right? The baby. Yeah. Yeah, the baby. And so mm-hmm. remember the babysitter, you know, at the end, you know, after the movie when they were doing the, you know, the credits, they did an outtake, and so it showed the agent sitting in the room with the babysitter, and, you know, the babysitter was going through the motions, and then she was telling him about how special Jack-Jack was and all the tricks that Jack-Jack could do. And the agent said, and so the agent said, have you told anyone else about this? And she said, I told my family, but all they did was laugh. They thought I was joking. And and so, you know, he used that men in black flash and erased her memory. And I'm like, some people ain't going to be happy until I pull a jack-jack. You know, and, and, and the thing is, is that it's going to be so funny that people are not going to believe that I actually did it. But we shall right. see. <laughs> <laughs> see me float in the air, you know, kung fu style, you know, all that special stuff. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Turn into a ball of fire. Turn into, you know, let it wait. You know, all of that good, the Tasmanian devil, all of that there, you know. So, you know, they won't be happy until they do a tag about me telling Jesus to fix that, too. So it should be interesting next year. And so with that, we want to remind you guys of the Moving Social Justice Conference for next year. At Rice University, the middle it's of October. Be bigger and better. Yes, bigger and better. And, you know, we are excited about it. The year after that, we will be in the DMV area. The year after that is coming to Chicago. And we still have yet to determine where we're going to go after Chicago. But I have my ideas, but it has to be voted on by our board. <laughs> and so, <laughs> oh, Lord, yes. So anyway, we just want to let you guys know, you know, Moving Social Justice to October. Start putting your nickels to the side. You know, we want to see you. We want to meet you. We want to hug and kiss you, you know, because there's some people out there that, you know, it's like I enjoy them and I enjoy their news feeds and what they have to offer so much 
that, you know, I'm actually looking forward to actually meeting the person. And, you know, that's what happened this past October. It was such a beautiful, you know, um, you know, um, situation in which we had a and chance to And it was a lot of fun. And we had yeah. a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. So. It was like a big old yeah, family out reunion. Oh, yeah, it was right. great. It was, it was really great. It was really great. Exactly. People have to join us. Yeah, and join us for lunch. And look out for the DVD, guys. Look out for the DVD. Available available to those that make a donation to POC or Black Skeptics Group. So exactly. And we are five oh one C three, you know make donations to Black Skeptics at gmail dot com. Again, that's blackskeptics at gmail.com. That's our PayPal. Or you can even make a donation to people of color beyond faith at gmail.com. Again, that's people of color beyond faith at gmail.com, which is a project under Black Skeptics Group. But if you make a donation to POC, it goes specifically for that project, and we are calling for donations, you know, if you can. So on that note, we are out of here. Raina, love you, baby. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> me today. No problem. Talk to you shortly. Yeah, and oh, I want to give a shout-out to Alvin. What's up, AG3? All right, baby. <laughs> you, all- <laughs> you all take care and have a good week, okay? Enjoy your holidays for those who celebrate. Take care. Bye. <laughs>